every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features two special guests, Ritu Kapoor and Julie Jin of Lob, a marketing agency that automates direct mail outreach for businesses. Ritu has extensive leadership experience in the software as a service space and is Lob's first ever chief marketing officer. Julie has spent more than 20 years in demand gen and marketing operations and is Lob's VP of demand gen. On this episode, Ritu and Julie talk about their favorite direct marketing wins and their steadfast support of personalization before sharing must-use tools for moving customers through the funnel. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Lob's Chief Marketing Officer, Ritu Kapoor, and VP of Demand Gen, Julie Jin, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspine Studios, and today I am joined by two special guests. First, Ritu, how are you? Very well, Ian. How are you? Doing great. And Julie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, excited to chat. We're doing a, a dual guest experience on, on DGV today to get both CMOs, perspective and the VP of demand gen. So we're going to do a lot. Let's get to it. First, Ritu, let's start with you. What was your first job in marketing and demand? Ah, first job in marketing. So, well, my first paid gig in marketing was a head of product and marketing role in a small startup. It was about 10 people, I would say, here in the Bay Area. And I sort of fell into it uh, coming off a stint in Singapore where we were for five years. And I worked in nonprofit there and I'd done product specific roles before. Uh, and that's what I was hired for. But this startup was so new that more than product, what they needed help with was the company story, the product vision, market message, product message, investor decks, the entire gamut, right? So things that would normally fall in the marketing lead. But we couldn't do the product till we got investor funding and we got all of this stuff together. So I raised my hand and said, I'm going to do it. So that really was my first foray into marketing. And I discovered I loved it. And the rest is history. And Julie, what about you? So let's see, my origin story starts about 16 years ago. I was working at a marketing team in a very small healthcare company, and we were celebrating. It was after hours. We had just finished rebranding the company, and I walked by the CEO's office, and he called out to me, and he said, hey, you, we just launched a new product, and the sales folks are really struggling to get it off the ground. Do you think you could help? And I said, sure, I can do that. And then I drove home and I thought, what, what the heck did I just agree to do? Um, <laughs> but I got up the next morning and I got to work early and I immediately went straight down to talk to this talented illustrator who worked in our mailroom. And I said, look, I want to create a series of direct mail pieces. I need custom art. Can I pay you to work as an illustrator for the marketing team for the next month or so? And that was my first campaign. And I got totally hooked on demand gen and seeing the impact it could make on sales. And so, I mean, looking back now, I think I was just randomly chosen by this CEO, but I guess I was in the right place at the right time. 
Yeah, let me tell you though, Julie wasn't randomly chosen. Julie's a rock star. (laughs) So he knew what he was saying. Right place, right time does help though. It always helps, but you got to meet the opportunity, right? Let's get into Lob. So can you tell us a little bit about both of your roles at Lob? Yeah, let me actually start with a little bit about Lob. We're one of the fastest growing startups today. We're based in San Francisco. And what we do is we automate the process of sending direct mail to consumers. So we're automating this Traditionally, this traditional process, this extremely legacy process and systems with SaaS software that makes it so easy for a D2C marketer to be able to send direct mail. In fact, we're the only solution out there for marketers that rely on direct mail. So what we basically do is sell to other marketers, right? The acquisition marketers, the growth marketers, the retention marketers. These guys are our primary buyers. So imagine this, I come in as a CMO and I'm constantly interacting with a team of people that are really my target audience, my target buyers. So it makes it for a very easy role to really understand the consumer and constantly have these discussions, knowing what we know about our jobs and about our target market. So quite a great place to be. Yeah, indeed. Every marketer is trying to figure out how to do direct mail, how to do address verification. It's a data problem. It's a it's an automation problem. There, there's so many different components to this, and we're we're gonna get super deep into that today. So let's get let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What I thought we were in the trust tree with in the nest, are we not? This is where we go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. Tell me, what size customers are you selling to and and do you have now? So when we first started the company, I'd say about eight years ago, it was mostly SMB. But in the last year, we've moved significantly up market. And today I showed a, a graph at the at our all hands the other day where nine out of 10 largest fintechs use us, six out of 10, the, the largest healthcare companies use us. So we've moved significantly up market to where some of the largest enterprises today are using Lob for their direct mail. And there's two kind of buyer personas that we concentrate on. One is, of course, the marketing persona that I I spoke about earlier, but we also have large operational teams in some of the largest telcos and healthcare companies that have these back office functions that use LOB in order to make their current process better. So imagine teams of 10 to 20 people that would normally go out to these printers. They would manage invoicing. They would manage postage. They would figure out each small portion of this process, and it would take them three months. And today with Lub, it would take them five to seven days from idea to mail-in mailbox. So the change that we're able to make, that the transformation of direct mail through Lob has been tremendous, both for the marketer and for these operational teams. Yeah, that's, in- that's incredible. And, and I'm curious, in that buying committee, what is the difference in the persona there? What does that persona look like versus your obviously traditional CMO and, and, mm-hmm. and marketing leader on the other side? So the marketing leader, of course, is sending marketing mail. So imagine the postcards that you get from Third Love or a something that you get from Wayfair. These are marketing materials for a specific reason in order to either acquire a customer or retain a customer. The operational teams really send operational email. So think about your favorite internet provider sending you a bill or think about a regulatory compliance letter that you get. That's really a very large part of mail that you get is regulatory or bills. That's your operational teams needing to send these in the millions and if not billions. Yeah. Who does that roll up to? Is that an operational role or who's buying that? 
it depends on the company. Some people roll up directly into product and engineering teams, and some folks roll up into operational teams. And how does your organization structure to go to market for your marketing team? So this is interesting, right? Like I mentioned earlier, we're at a point where we have about 10,000 customers. You last Julie, we have a very healthy pipeline, we have a very healthy bookings growth, and we've moved up market, like I mentioned. So for that kind of company, our org structure is pretty typical. So we have a content and social org that manages that strategy. We uh, manage thought leadership. Uh, they manage everything that we put out there in terms of content. And for a company our size and being the leader in the market, that is very important to us. We have a customer marketing org to tell customer stories. We have a brand org that will focus more on that emotional connect with the customer. We have a product marketing org to focus on product and market vision and product messaging. And we're now building a very strong operation teams as well, which I'm completely passionate about to really bring all of this together and have, have these orgs align across the customer journey and make sure the customer is getting what they need at the different aspects of it. And of course, Julie runs our demand gen org, which is the, the largest org in the, in the business today. Julie, would you like to talk about that? Um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about the demand gen org structure because it, it really aligns with our strategy for 2022, right? So you just heard Ritu talk about us wanting to move up market and focus on the enterprise marketer. And a big part of that is just a unified motion against these larger accounts. That's the first part, right? Our strategy is working really closely with our sales partners. We're looking at using intent data to find in-market buyers. We're even talking about switching our funnel reporting up to focus more on marketing qualified accounts instead of marketing qualified leads. So you can imagine our org structure aligns with that, right? We have demand gen managers who are primarily dedicated to creating pipeline for our priority accounts. We also have team members who are overseeing just SEO and SEM. That is another very important strategy for us next year, right? Increasing lead flow. And then we've got great support people like marketing operations and as we look at taking on expansion in 2022, we might actually add an additional headcount to the party. Always fun. Always fun adding headcount. And how would you say from a strategy perspective, how does demand fit within the marketing strategy? I think one of the best things about the lab marketing team is that we are all aligned to making the company revenue goals. And that means that everybody is doing what they can to support demand gen. So it is a big and important part of the marketing strategy as a whole. And what I love about Lob here is we think about ourselves and the sales teams and the SDR teams as one big revenue org. So very different from where I've come from, where marketing was a little bit more siloed and, and focused on something else, and then sales was focused on execution. So being able to think about one big revenue org and being able to have a go-to revenue ops team to, to support both our functions and really help align that is huge. And I hope we can continue to keep this going as we grow quickly this year. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we really have going for is we have a healthy and strong relationship all the way across the marketing and sales organization. I say this in a lot of places I work, but it is absolutely true that we think of ourselves as one team here, and that's really a big part of our, our success. Okay, let's get to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up the playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. So on a day-to-day -day basis, obviously how demand runs plays versus other pieces of the business. Ritu, let's start with you. What, what are your uncuttable budget items from, from the marketing side? And then we'll, we'll get to Julie's. 
so for me, I mean, lots, right? It's I can't cut anything. <laughs> but <laughs> based on where we are as a business and, and as an industry, we're sort of, we're the market leaders, we're leading the charge. So for us, thought leadership content is really important. We're helping transform a legacy industry. We're helping bring, bring it into the future. And it's important for us to really educate our buyers on how best to use direct mail, on the advantages of direct mail, on how to pivot to direct mail uh, as digital becomes more saturated and how to really get the most out of the product. So for me, that is definitely the most uncuttable expense. And then Julie would agree, will agree with me around the organic SEO and our account-based strategies that, that we have focusing on the top mailers in the industry. Yeah, I mean, we, we are obviously going to say direct mail, but it's because we've already seen a lot of success when we combine it with other strategies. For years, I've been relying heavily on email, for example, to get folks to register for webinars. But what I've seen is we've had such a better pickup if we use postcards along with email. So that is probably at the top of my list of an uncuttable budget item right now is doing more and more direct mail using our software. Yeah, so so tell me about drinking your own kombucha or whatever you want to call it. If it's the Bay Area, I feel like it's always kombucha. What are some of the best practices that you're doing to use direct mail? Because clearly you're sitting at the epicenter of all things direct mail. Yeah, let me tell you what I think is one of the more successful use cases for direct mail, right? It's when it is triggered from an action that the buyer is taking. So for example, we have folks who are coming to our product page all the time, right? But they don't convert. And if you can identify those folks and the minute that they bounce off your page, you trigger an email and a couple of days later it's in their hands and you get them re-engaged and back to your site, your conversion rates go up. Yeah, it's it's that whole making direct mail or direct mail platforms a, a very big part of your marketing tech stack. So just like Marketo would help you with, with digital channels, Lob or companies like Lob would help you with these. So it, it is a part of your marketing tech stack has to be integrated into the rest of it and then work based on either customer triggers or, or timeline triggers. That's the best way to do it for sure. When you say customer triggers or timeline triggers, what do you mean by that? So think about exactly like Julie said, a trigger either based on an action a customer takes or a prospect takes or an action a salesperson takes. So for example, if a salesperson is moving an opportunity from stage two to stage three, you have to be able to, to trigger a postcard to help the customer move down the funnel. Or again, an action a prospect takes on the website or does not convert or, or leaves a form half filled, sending the actual product to them in their hands with the Lob logo on it, touch and feel, really helps to create a bit of an emotional connect that helps them to convert. And yeah, tell me about what one of those postcards is, what it says, what would be the different things that you would send in those different triggers? So it would really be around what the customer did. So the ones that are the most targeted are the ones that convert easily. So let me give you an example of a customer, Wayfair. They're great because every time a customer looks at a sofa online and does not purchase, the postcard that comes to the customer is a picture of that sofa and says, you left something in your cart. Now, this is so cool, right? It's it's easy, but it's it's brilliant because here you go, you put the same thing in front of the customer again versus just sending them an email. So similar to that, that's what we would do. Hey, we noticed you were looking at this report. Here's a QR code. If you click on this QR code, you'll get the report. That way you get the customer's input and you give them another way to go fill out this form versus the one that they had on the digital channel. You know, direct mail is no different than any other communication channel we're using. It works best when you understand what the next action is, where the buyer is in the buying journey, right? 
just like if somebody was on your website and they were looking at your ROI calculator, you have a pretty good idea of what the next step should be, right? You have a couple of choices. You can send them an email, you could call them, and now you can send direct mail. It's just another way to get a message in front of them at a time when we are absolutely exhausted of staring at screens all the time, right? I'm almost blind to ads, I'm blind to email. We're putting something tangible in the hands of people who are working from home, and that, that's what's making it a powerful channel. Yeah, obviously the idea of working from home has, has changed everything as it relates to direct mail. Let's talk the address verification piece of this. How are they opting into this? What are some best practices there? So with address verification, it's part of your blob package. So there is the upsell portion of it as well, which gives you a lot more feature sets. But for every person that that opts into the blob package, we verify basic addresses for you. We make sure that none of this is wasted. It's not going to addresses that people no longer live in. We connect into USPS and make sure that all of this is it's, it's sort of part of the package when when you pay the platform fee. And so if I go to, to Wayfair's site, like Wayfair mm-hmm. knows who I am because I've already bought something from them. So they already have my address. They already have all that mm-hmm. stuff. But if mm-hmm. I was to go somewhere new where I haven't submitted my address information and stuff like that, how would that work? So at that point, you would need an address. I think that's the biggest one. It's like with email. If if I have a phone number and I don't have email, I don't have a way to send email to you. We do depend on the customer to give us mailing addresses in order to send this. There's a lot of talk at Lob on how we can become a data provider as well. And that is an option. But right now, we do believe that the data belongs to the, to our customers. And that's, that's how we're looking at it. Similar to having a strategy for collecting opt-ins for email address, you have to have a strategy for collecting home addresses, right? Totally. And the way that we do that is we integrate it into what we think is basically non-intrusive points, right? Think of like postback um, pages, like confirmation pages. Someone signs up for a webinar and we say, great, would you like to occasionally get direct mail? And that's when you ask for it. Yeah. So Julie, it's so interesting to me because I think you're exactly right. First off, we have so many of our of our customers addresses already because we've sent them swag or we've tried to send them swag or we've tried to send them something for a conference or or whatever it is. Any other best practices of of trying to get that information? Yeah. I mean, I I think another really good way to, to get that is just using progressive profiling on your forms, right? You start with collecting the information that's most important. And then once you get it, every time the person comes back, see if you can grab their home address. Yeah, such a great point. And I think that the other thing too is if we had their work address in the past, then now asking like, hey, I think we might have your work address on file or something like that. Time for an update. I mean, I know for me, I've moved twice just since COVID started. So getting an updated address is always always something tricky as well. Yeah, you know, we have also seen some success with what I would consider granular gifting, right? We say like, we want to send you something, but we need your home address to do so. Most people will provide it at that point. Yeah. Great. We've talked about ABM and, and gifting on this show. I think it's absolutely the best in class strategy. There's just so many things that you can do when you gift that can be interesting and creative. And I think there's a certain set of the population, maybe executives, CIOs, maybe, or, or CMOs or somebody like that, that get sold to 24 seven, that maybe you have to get super creative to give them a gift. But for the vast majority of people, getting a cool, thoughtful gift is a killer strategy. And as you mentioned, Direct mail is one part of your overall MarTech stack, and giving gifts is one of the tools in ABM. 
It's funny how like just having that personal address is important for various different pieces of your marketing strategy, both from what you were saying earlier, as you're moving through the funnel to gifts, to customer gifts, to all, all that sort of stuff. I am a huge fan of making sure that your gifts relate back to a larger campaign and messaging strategy. Let me tell you about the campaign that, that we have mid-flight right now. It's our first omni-channel campaign. It's really exciting. And because our target market is enterprise marketers, we get to be fun, right? We get to take some risk and try some very creative approaches. So right now we're doing this entire campaign and the theme is we basically wrapped around the idea that lob is the secret ingredient that every marketing team needs to improve the effectiveness of their campaigns. And we went all on this approach, right? Our amazing design team pulled together all these visuals. We used it in email, direct mail, social, did a series of webinars. But by far, my favorite was a few days ago, we did this live hot sauce tasting event. And it was basically just a fun way to get prospects to show up for a demo. But as part of that, we designed a custom hot sauce flight. And anybody who registered got a series of these hot sauces. And so it was a really great gift, but then they actually, it made it interactive, right? Because they could taste along with the panel in real time. And I think that is a great way to do gifting. I love that. That's so fun. I saw that on your website and I was going to ask about it because I have not seen that yet. And that's such a clever idea. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, this is this is the wonderful and exciting part about being surrounded by creative people. My team came up with this idea and then we internally crowdsourced the names of the hot sauces. In fact, I think my favorite one was called Labanero. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is like going back to that whole experiential marketing, right? Uh, being able to have these small events and really immerse the customer in your brand and, and giving them an experience that they want to talk about with their friends and want to talk about on social because these large events at this point are going out. Well, it reminds me of, we were talking a few episodes ago about webinars and, and the state of the webinar and this sort of idea that if you think about it, really webinars haven't changed in 15 years. There's essentially no difference, right? You show up, you go through some slides, uh, hopefully you learn something. We were kind of talking about this idea of kind of content versus engagement, where it's like for Caspian, we make podcasts for companies. And so it's what I, you know, what I would call like push content, where it's like creating really helpful, engaging content. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to ask questions back and forth with the person mm -hmm. that, that's talking, whereas webinars are the polar opposite than that where it's like, you can ask a million questions to the guest. And that is the appeal of the utility. And I think that adding in something like a hot sauce tasting is such a fun way to take something that sometimes feels kind of lame and create something really memorable. Marketing is about, we talk about all the time, marketing is about being remarkable. That means you have to talk about it with somebody else. And if you get to talk about with your spouse of like, hey, why do we have all these hot sauces? Or like, why did you drink two glasses of milk today? You've never drank milk in 10 years. That, that stuff is funny and interesting and worth sharing and worth talking about. And it just crushes your everyday humdrum. I'm going to go through a bunch of slides or go through a demo. I really appreciate hearing that. I think anything that not only keeps people engaged while they're sitting in front of screens by themselves, right, in this home office is a very powerful tactic. And anything that can keep them coming back to your property, right, keeping the conversation going is brilliant. And that's why, that's why we were looking at integrating direct mail and gifting into everything that we're doing. Well, and there's just so many things that you can do now 
so many different things are part of your arsenal now. You have things like DoorDash or Uber Eats or things like that. You can send food to people. You can make experiences. You can send all that stuff. And I, I know that this is all part and partial to this idea of having somebody's address or it's now a direct connection to their home, which just that wasn't how it was for a long time. Back in the day, we had a connection to the office building, which is super valuable in its own right, being able to send whatever, send donuts to the office, and everybody gets to go to the donut box and, and talk about love. That's a great thing too. But this the fact that you are now in people's homes and you can add value to that is, is great. The other side of that is you can also detract value by sending things that are not the best campaign. So I'm curious, any things that you see that people are doing that are maybe not working? So I think static, yeah, static mail doesn't work anymore. Anything that's static and not personalized to the user does not work as, as well. I mean, you can do it, but the, the response rates are, are much lower. So the more you can personalize it to their interests, the more you can personalize it. And even if you, you're, you know, the, the, the Wayfair example, or even if you're saying something that you're calling out the person's name, every time you personalize something, interactions go up, I believe the data is about 15%. So that's what Lob's trying to change as well, where how do we personalize this to that person's interest? How do we find out what they really want and, you know, and help them be able to fulfill a need. I wouldn't say it's not working, but Google advertising is is becoming a really saturated playground right now, right? It's becoming more and more difficult to compete and it's harder to show direct attribution to what is a very, very expensive channel. So I don't know if it's fading away, but we, for example, are definitely looking at who we target and how to get the best ROI from PPC. Yeah, it's just really expensive to play the game. If we all had our druthers, we would have an extremely strong SEO presence and a content machine and all that stuff to create really high quality stuff to drive inbound. Like we all know that, but you have to fill in the gaps with paid or, and sometimes you're not just filling in the gaps, you're just putting money into the casino and it's tough, right? It's just not, that's not really a sustainable strategy on its own. Yeah, and the cost per acquisition, right, is is fairly high because of what you just said. It's high stakes game. You know, Ritu, I, I do want to jump back to what you said though about personalization. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should drop this at the very front of the conversation here because I think that it's so important that direct mail is a very loaded term. To so many people, it means just a flyer that is unpersonalized. That's mm-hmm. that's just that spray and pray. Once you, you you get your mail out of the mailbox, you just walk directly to the recycling bin and you just mm-hmm. dump a bunch of that garbage in there and, and feel wasteful that all this stuff happened. What you're talking about is a hyper-personalized thing for that person that related to something that they had with a sales call, with something that, like you said, is in their, their inbox. Like, How should our listeners think about personalization as it relates to direct mail? I think as a marketer, you need to figure out what the different touch points are in the journey first. And at what point you need to remind the consumer with with a piece of direct mail or, or email, or what point you need to remind the consumer to move up, that'll enable them to move up the funnel. So for example, again, going back to the Wayfair thing, if they leave something in the cart, that's a very high indication that they were interested in the first place. So how do you make sure that you put in front of them exactly that event that happened. So being being able to personalize and repeat what they just did and show it to them. It's like the whole messaging thing. So tell them, tell them what you're going to tell them, 
tell them and then tell them what you told them. So if you repeat that in a marketing funnel, that's exactly it. At every given point, if you remind them what they're missing out on, that's basically the different kinds of ways that you can get them to move up the funnel. And personalization is really those points. Figure out what's important and personalize that piece of it. Is it their particular city that's important? So the image that, that you give them on the postcard is of their particular city. Of a For San Francisco, it's the Golden Gate Bridge. In New York, it could be something else. And then it could be that it's really just their name or the, the name of their college or, or something that's, that's important to them. That'll make it familiar and that'll make them look twice so it, it could be many different pieces, but as marketer, you have to determine those pieces and you have to determine what these, we like to call it merge variables, what these variables are that, that you can personalize to them. How do you view your website? <laughs> Julie, you want to take a pass? Our website is by far one of our most valuable assets for the demand gen team, right? It's our front door. We think of it as kind of like our first date with our buyers. And I think to get the most out of our website, we have to stop thinking of it as being static, right? We have to take constant care and oversight. And that's why we have now a dedicated person to our web properties. So I think that every day you got to get up and you need someone who says, what can I do to increase traffic and conversions? And that means looking at our keywords, our content, having an ongoing testing optimization strategy. It takes a lot of care. It's constant care for our, to make this the most valuable lead generating tool in your arsenal. And, and from my perspective, it's, it's that front door to your brand. What is that emotional connect you want to create with the customer? As companies start to pivot the way they, they want to look to the market or they want to pivot where they are, they want to move up market, down market, the first place you can do that is on your website because a consumer comes in and immediately creates a connect with the images on your website or the colors on your website and decides very quickly. It's almost like meeting a human where you decide very quickly whether you like them or not. And based on the colors and images, from, from my experience, people decide very quickly what they think you are. So that way, you know, that brand connect is really important. Let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes Trevor. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Ritu, let's start with you. Yeah. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career? Oh, man, lots. <laughs> it's, I think... A little bit of tension is good. It helps keeps uh, keep us all on our toes. It really just helps with even the marketing versus sales versus product teams. You push each other just a little bit, just enough to where the final result is just so much better as compared to if we all agreed on the first thing. But you also have to realize that some disagreements are a little bit more than that. I think the first thing I go in with when I have something like this is this internal belief that everyone's in here to do the right thing for the company. And as long as you believe that you go in positively and then you start to understand why. You know, I was thinking about it uh, uh, the other day where these misalignments or these misunderstandings are primarily based on two things in my experience. There's a deferring understanding of the problem and a deferring level of trust in the team that will be part of the solution. So either way, you have to figure out which one it is and you have to go down to that crux and uh, figure out how you can address that piece. So biggest issue is let's figure out what the problem is so we can fix it. A lot of the times you're talking here and the problem exists here. 
So, you know, just taking a collaborative approach, not going in thinking I'm right and I'm going to prove that I'm right. And having that conversation is, is extremely useful. Julie, what about you? Um, let's see. You know, I also, I've run into a lot of healthy tension in my career, right? I remember really early on in my career, I went to a sales leadership team and I proudly announced, look, we had a bajillion leads this month. And one of the sales leaders said, yeah, that all of those leads were at a small number of accounts in a single territory. And many already had open opportunities. And at the time, that probably bordered on what I felt was unhealthy tension. But it was a real eye-opener for me, right? I realized that the tension was caused by misalignment. And I, I agree, right? The best way to fix that is to make sure everybody is focused on a common goal. So, you know, I had a good friend who used to tell me that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And tension is often the way to get there, right? I love that. That's great. Okay, let's get to our quick hits. These are quick questions with quick answers, just like conversational marketing with qualified, qualified prospects are on your website right now. And you can talk to them quickly with qualified, quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. We love qualified. They're our best friends in the whole world. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Quick hits. Are you both ready? Let's roll. Two no's. (laughs) Okay. We'll do Julie first. We'll start. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? It may be hidden in my resume, actually, but uh, data is my love language. (laughs) (laughs) I like to talk and look at numbers all the time, and that helps me in my position a lot. Richie, what about you? I'm a closet mediator. I can fix situations very quickly. I love it. Those are great. What about a a favorite book or podcast, TV show, something like that that you, you checked out recently? I just finished binge-watching How to Get Away with Murder, which might also be another hidden skill. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Marketing murderers. (laughs) I love it. For me, I I reread Americana, uh, and I realized how much I identify with this book. It's about a young lady that escaped Nigeria because of the rule there and moved to the U.S., and how she had to learn to identify with being a black woman in America. And uh, it's just, I'm not black, but it's uh, something that I identify with quite a bit, just her experiences, her going through moving countries and going through a completely different route for her life than she had previously determined. I loved that book. Very cool. What is a non-marketing hobby that maybe sort of indirectly makes you a better marketer, Ritu? So you wouldn't believe if you met me. I'm 5'4 and I'm petite. But right in COVID, I started to lift weights with a trainer on Zoom and now I try and go in. But that definitely taught me a few things, right? Pace yourself. Otherwise, you'll be really sore in the morning. (laughs) And if you can't do it today, that doesn't mean you can't do it tomorrow. And the third thing is celebrate the wins. So when I'm able to deadlift 60 pounds, I don't wait till next week to celebrate. I celebrate right there. And that's just the way I I like to do it with the team as well. When you do something really fun, you stop stop what you're doing. You cancel the meeting and you have a drink together on Zoom. (laughs) It really gets me thinking about how you really do it. Our CRO, Ryan, likes to say, and they, they made a big joke out of this as well. The only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And as a result, we had an elephant at our all-hand celebration, a cake in the shape of an elephant. But that's just another piece where even whether it's weightlifting or whether it's team dynamics, that's the way to do it, one bite at a time. 
I love it. No, no sore day on this earth than the no. first day doing legs uh, after once you once you get back in the gym. <laughs> My goodness, Julie, what about you? Well, I have a teenage daughter, so I don't have a, a whole lot of time for hobbies, to be honest. I tend to spend my free time with people that I care a lot about. And I think all of that really goes a long way to teaching me how to be a better in marketing, but also a better leader. Okay, so let's do some advice here. Julia, start with you. What is your advice for a first-time VP of demand gen trying to figure out their demand gen strategy? Oh, man. Okay, so first I would say focus on your database health, right? Lead collection, storage process, all of that stuff, right? Data hygiene is critical. The other is that I often see people try to implement software to solve people or process problems. And my advice is before you add anything to your MarkTech stack, ask yourself if you have the infrastructure in place for change management, training, implementation, all of that other stuff. Because if you try to use software to solve people problems, that's just bringing whipped cream on top of a pile of manure. (laughs) It doesn't work. Let's see. Last thing I would say, show your SDR team some love. They're a great group of folks that spend all day, every day doing everything they can to make sure the leads move forward. And then Ritu, what is your best advice for a first-time CMO trying to figure out their marketing strategy? So I am this person. I am a first-time CMO. And uh, let me tell you what I've learned hire really, really well. You can't be everywhere. You can't be the expert on everything. You have to be able to trust your team. So spend your time, hire really well and trust that team. Thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely wonderful chatting with both of you. All of our listeners obviously are going to go check out lob.com, go to lob.com and learn more if you're not doing direct mail. And you should be clearly after listening to this episode. So go check that out. Any final thoughts, anything to plug for both of you? Well, just to repeat what we already know, when what Julie said, you have to measure everything. So it's the only way in marketing we can get better, we can figure out which half is working. And even with direct mail, right? If you have the law platform, not only can you send this wonderful personalized mail, you can measure everything. You can have the analytics and the attribution with QR codes, with personalized URLs and delivery data that really helps you enrich your current customer data and create more targeted campaigns going forward. So and again, not just email, but with, with direct mail, with lob, uh, that's, that's, that's what you can do it, and to really make it part of an omni-channel strategy with all the attribution and analytics that you've gotten used to. So that's what I'll leave you guys with. Thanks, thanks, Ian. This was great fun. Yeah, great having you both. Take care. The ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.